America, Washington, D.C., signing on. When the Santa's Welcome to another episode of Radio Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org. Brushbeater training and consulting and hosted by me, the best-selling author of The Gorilla's Guide to the Balfang Radio and The Gorilla Dispatch, volumes one and two. It is really good to be with you today. I have a very special guest with me, former intelligence officer. And Intel man, secret agent man extraordinaire, Mr. Peter Wrangle. What's up, brother? Oh, not much. Uh, another beautiful day here in uh, the great state of South Carolina. <laughs> the Palmetto State. That's right. Palmetto state. South Carolina is better Carolina. <laughs> you know, man, I, I used to screw with, with people from South Carolina real bad. Be like, South Carolina is like North Carolina's trailer park. Mm. And then they're they're like, yeah, but y'all have Gastonia. And I'm like. Oh, <laughs> that is true. Facts. Gastonia and, uh, yeah, that's. <laughs> and I tried to, uh, my wife yeah. and her uh, family are from Ohio and they moved down here several years ago. And I tried to explain to them, like, what Gastonia is. <laughs> Oh man! Well, I mean, but we also have Myrtle. We also have Dirty Myrtle, so there is that. Yeah, y'all got Columbia too. So, God, I mean, that is so it's just swamp. I mean, that's just it, just a big old divot in the in the, the way the state is, and uh, geographically, and it's all swamp. And that's why it's so hot. That's why it's quote unquote famously hot. hot. It's 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 a Columbia is like a a new level of hot man. Like people yeah, from South Texas talk about how hot it is South Texas, and it is. It's yeah. hot as shit down there. Like, you know, South Texas is hot. But Columbia, South Carolina is like, mm. oh, like, yeah, and, man. And, and, and you get crammed into like an 80,000 person stadium down there at William Bryce on a oh. uh, August, September oh. time frame. Man, oh. you're talking about a whole nother level of, of pain. Oh. But besides besides having to watch the game cost lose on a consistent basis, besides that, oh. that level of pain. Oh, you had to go there, man. You had to go there. I didn't even have hey. to go there. Hey, I didn't hey, even hey. have to say nothing. I, I'm a I'm a Gamecock. I grew up a Gamecock fan. I'll die a Gamecock fan. And uh, I, I, you know, I understand the the uh, the ritual of pain that we go through every year of saying next year will be different. It, it'll be different next year. No, it won't. Yeah. No, it no. Won't. I mean, we, you know, yeah, you know, North Carolina. We we got our we got our struggles in football too. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it is what it you know. Clemson is our our perpetual uh, 
you know, just, oh, man. Like, you know, Clint Tech, the, the Cal College. Like we get, we can, we can hate on Clemson all we want, but you know, you do have to respect them too. Oh yeah, oh most definitely. And it, so uh, uh, I, I did end up going to Clemson uh, using my GI Bill back in the the late two thousand, uh, the, the mid to late twenty uh, tens, um, and so it's a beautiful place, beautiful campus, uh, beautiful area in the upstate South Carolina, all that. Oh, yeah. um, you know, but as a as a Gamecock fan, it was it was torture being there when they were at the 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 pinnacle of their football success. So, yeah, yeah, but yeah they were good. I mean, they they you know they um they you know uh, Dabo brought in you know a lot of uh, enthusiasm to the program, and you know they 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 gone and they did uh, great things at the football program, and um, you know transformed the, that stadium and from you know what it was just a you know very nice stadium, but invested you know tens of millions of dollars into it and, and looks a whole lot better and a whole lot nicer so yeah oh yeah yeah i mean it, it's it's crazy what a good football program yeah, really yeah. sports in general does for for the campus i mean it mm-hmm. you know like, um duke university real good example mm-hmm. of that i mean which they they got a lot of money coming in anyway being a private school but mm-hmm. you know, unc chapel hill you know up here obviously basketball program um you know top consistently top ranked basketball program. I mean, you know, NC state also football, yeah. part of yeah. stadium. you know, it's, it, it's, um, but, but being an NC state fan and being, being a Wolfpack, um, you know, that, that's, it, that's, that's why Clemson gets, gets like extra rancor from us. Like ah, <laughs> every, every year it's like, we don't, we don't really care, you know, how, how it boils down. Like you know where where Wolfpack ends up, like whatever. Yeah, as they beat Clemson, and it's, they beat them. Like, didn't they beat them last year or the year before yeah. or something like that? Or yeah, and like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like oh yeah, you know, like got you, got like don't even care how the season ends up, like, but we got you. Yeah, again, that's exactly how it is for being a Gamecock. It's like you can we can lose every game uh, the entire year, but if you beat if you beat Clemson, then it's a successful year. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like 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 Army Navy man. Like this, like yeah, service yeah, yeah. Academy. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. What you're, they, yeah. they, they they don't they don't have a single win. Like neither one of them have a single win the whole year. Yeah, like yeah, you know, like like Army football. Like they they don't nobody even yeah. like. There's there there are whole people out there that are like, like Army even has a football team. It's like yeah they yeah. yeah. Like the, the one game they play a year that anybody cares about is like oh, we're playing the Naval Academy. Yeah, you know, like yeah, and then then Navy the the Naval Academy cats are like, yeah, but we also play Notre Dame. That's like, yeah, but nobody gives like nobody nobody cares like nobody nobody cares nobody really cares like since Lou Holtz left nobody really cares about Notre Dame. Yeah, either. yeah, yeah. Like, it's like Notre Dame. Then, yeah. then Lou Holtz became the coach of uh, Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, he spent one year at NC State. People don't know that. Before he went to Notre oh, Dame, oh. he spent one year at oh. NC State. Really? Hmm. Yep. And then he went to Notre Dame, and he he got picked up for Notre Dame, and like that was his big, his big fame. Like, came yeah. Right after that, it's like, man, had he had he stayed at, at State, who knows what you know what it what that's it like, could have became. But that's like, uh, uh, was it Bel- Belichick was the head coach of the Browns for one year? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The what is in that one? Like, dude, 
what could have been, man. Yeah. What could have been, you know, but like, I don't know. I, Cleveland Browns, like they, they took a few years off. Like they were so bad. They, that football program took a couple years off. They were like, ah, oh, yeah, we, no, we can't be a team anymore. Yeah, no, they're like, <laughs> yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to move. We're going to move to Baltimore. <laughs> like, who, who, who moves to Baltimore? Ooh. Ooh. Well, that was, that was the thing, man. I had I had a uh, madman action. Baltimore is what uh, it is the uh, where I get a lot of my uh, zip code problems and zip code nationalism. Uh, yeah, they're in Philly. Oh, Philly, Philly. Ooh, ooh. Um, yeah, Kensington. Kensington. Mm. Philly is Philly and Baltimore, man. Like, like the last time that I was driving through that area that I was, I was going through Baltimore and I was Mm -hmm. on 95 and I'm about to go into the big tunnel, you know, where they have like eight going into the big tunnel and you got to pay the toll right there. And so I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm listening to, uh, I think it was WMAL out of DC and, um, they're, you know, they, they're, they're playing their, their news line and whatever. And they're like, yeah. Uh, you know, there, there were there were unnamed people who were shooting at traffic right by the entrance to the tunnel yeah. on 95. And I'm like looking, you know, I like look to yeah, my left. I'm like, shit, you know, okay. like, we and they haven't been caught. And it's like, man, they're going to do this again. You know, yeah. shooting, well, I mean, shooting traffic. Yeah, I mean, but then you could more likely apply sailor's law to where, like, you won't get killed, you'll just get wounded. Yeah. So, you know, and I was, I was traveling somewhere to go do a class too. And, you know, mm. that's why I was, that's the whole reason I was driving up through there. And I'm like, you know, show up with a gunshot wound and be like, All right, you know, <laughs> like, like I got a tourniquet on my leg. And like, I, you know, I packed it, but you know, we're going to, we're going to do this class. All right. Pull your radios out. And I'm like, Hey man, are you going to be okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll be yeah. all right. I'll be all right. I got some. Well, I mean, like, I mean, you gotta, you gotta learn how to operate your equipment under stress. So. <laughs> if you can if I, if I can teach a class with a gunshot wound i can teach a class any other time like, yeah, yeah. yeah you will be all right man <laughs> if, you, if you can dodge a wrench you can dodge a, a ball <laughs> yes yes if you, if you can dodge a wrench you can dodge a ball the old rip torn man mm-hmm. love that movie but Indicators and warnings. So yep. anybody that follows you on Twitter knows, you know, there, there's a couple things that, that you can look for from Peter Rangel. The <laughs> first one is is the classic meme of of the the uh, rubber suit gorilla giving <laughs> a stink eye like. Mm-hmm. I love that yeah. one. That, oh, I love that one, dude. That's that's freaking classic. Anytime somebody says something retarded. You know, yeah. like puts up, you know, some liberals just like, blah, 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 blah. yeah, like that. But, yeah, you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, really. But yeah. the other one is, yeah, the, the indicators and warnings yep. and the zip code nationalism. Yep, zip code and nationalism. this this is something that I think um, is becoming readily apparent to anyone with the eyes to see it anyone with with a brain that's looking at things and it, you know the big picture and says dude you know like this this is all breaking down like you look at chicago you look at mm-hmm. san francisco which literally has you know they had to have to have the snap crap app 
just to be able to, to function, you know, and, yep. and you know, clean, attempt to clean up the city. And you have whole sections of the city that are literally, they're not just untenable economically. They're untenable to even, even exist in. Like you can't even go there. And mm-hmm. so talk us through, if you will, this, this idea of zip code nationalism and what you see is, is like the biggest indicators of problems that, that we have breaking down, you know, the, the, the glue that makes up American society. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, zip code nationalism and, and zip code problems kind of come from this uh, article I read several years ago. Uh, it's called 7-Eleven Nationalism. Uh, it was posted through Countercurrents, uh, written by uh, Richard Hokuk, H-O-U-C-K. Uh, his Twitter handle is uh, Hey Wild Rich. And uh, just a great article. It kind of talks about how, like, you know, us growing up, uh, you know, our generation kind of growing up, 80s and 90s, our ability to walk into a 7-Eleven or uh, uh, any type of uh, store you know, 2 a.m. and leaving our doors unlocked or windows down and just going in and being able to um, just do our business and come back out and have our vehicle still there and, you know, nothing kind of you know, nothing molested and, and, and all that. And so the coupled with the fact that uh, the reason I, I, I include the word zip code is uh, most crime, especially murder, are overrepresented by just a handful um, a handful of zip codes, uh, especially those in and around like large cities, Chicago being one of them, um, New York to a certain extent, and actually uh, Louisiana. Louisiana has a, a couple of zip codes down there that uh, um, that are overrepresented in uh, the murder rate. And so um, the the call for zip code nationalism is to reclaim uh, your zip code. And also kind of fight against and push it back against this concept of, well, crime is a national problem. Oh, crime of murder is a national problem. Gun crime is a national problem. Like, no, it's a zip code problem. In order to, and then in order to address those problems, you have to craft solutions that will fit in those zip codes. Um, but again, that's going to be very politically incorrect because of the demographics of the zip codes. That's just the, <laughs> the matter. That's just the fact of the matter. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so that's why I kind of say zip code problems because it's a problem of zip codes. And, you know, even um, not a problem in rural South Carolina where I live and rural uh, North Carolina where you live. And um, and then that, that call for zip code nationalism is to say, well, I want to I want to return back to that 7-Eleven nationalism, that ability to walk into a convenience store at 2 a.m. In the, in the morning and come back out and not have a, a gang of ruffians or a, a gang of youths uh, surrounding my vehicle or, um, you know, my, my car still being there, my girlfriend's you know, being uh, unmolested and, and all that. So it's a callback for that that type of mentality that uh, to reclaim the past for the future. I think that's a good way to put that. Um, you know, the, the, it kind of boils down to, you know, I've talked a lot about localism and, and embedding yourself in local politics. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that the left is very adept at doing and, and um, you know, you being a South Carolina native, me being a North Carolina native, um, there is, there's a pattern that we've seen over time where 
you know, in the 1990s, and this is something I commented about on uh, Twitter the other day with uh, our governor, Roy Cooper, uh, declaring a hilariously, because everybody in North Carolina knows he's a joke, uh, but hilariously declaring a state of emergency over the defunding of, or, or the, the partial defunding of the Department of Education. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because they they don't want to they don't want to approve school choice, which is, is one of the things they yeah. don't want. To, the Democrats don't. They don't want to uh, and basically put in a, a in totes ban on a lot of this, uh, quote unquote, transgender education stuff that, that's mm-hmm. been pushed uh, sexualization and grooming of our children. Um, and, and they they don't want to. Um, they do not want to put into law into statute that this is not to be allowed, like that, that these are safeguards that will be there. And, and, you know, the creation of a parent's bill of rights and uh, so on and so forth, which is a big national push that's going on, you know, among grassroots conservatives. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what we've seen over time in the 1990s, what we saw was the influx of a lot of retirees that were coming from the Northeast that were mm-hmm. in, in influxing into, you know, the, the uh, southern mid-Atlantic and to the, the southern United States, where property values were significantly lower and, and you know, the cost of living significantly lower than it was, you know, say, um, Long Island or uh, Boston or Massachusetts or, you know, Connecticut, what have you, right? And they came down here and, and the Democrat Party went from being they, they shifted from being, you know, kind of the the, the southern populist Dixiecrats, mm-hmm. um, you know, and kind of kind of had themselves framed as uh, the, the party of the working class of, of southern interests to all of a sudden kind of shifting more to to that that Kennedy style, uh, you know, Democrat more. um you know, they, they, they had a, a, a distinct shift in, in their narrative and their overall narrative and, and who they were pandering to. And all of a sudden, you know, here in North Carolina, we saw that there was, um, you know, the tobacco industry began to take a major hit. And that was our big thing here in North Carolina, you mm-hmm. know, like where, where I live and where I grew up. And, and you know, my, my roots are in tobacco production. And so this is something that is just innate knowledge. All of a sudden that, that whole industry came under attack. The farmers came under attack and that kind of sealed the deal on now this, this Republican shift. And this was happening in the 1990s. Well, what we found now is a lot of that generation of, of the retirees that moved southward have died off and, mm-hmm. and you know, they, they've died. Their kids are living elsewhere. They relocated themselves here and they don't have any interest in it. So you've seen a lot of properties coming up for sale because unfortunately these folks are, are uh, passing on because they were, you know, at, a, at an advanced stage anyway. Um, and what's replaced it has been people from the left coast, has been young folks, people mm-hmm. that are you know, uh, mid to late thirties, sometimes even younger. And they're coming out with, you know, a uh, fresh infusion of cash from, you know, whatever it is they've been doing in California and, uh, Washington, Oregon, you know, wherever. And they're moving out here to, to take advantage of the same circ- set of circumstances. And they're buying these properties that are, you know, very inexpensive, relatively low cost of living. But here's, here's where I'm going with this 
it's it is a dangerous situation that has been created from the grassroots up because whereas the democrat party in in our region in, in the southeast mm-hmm. went from you know that one perspective of you know kind of the, the party of jimmy carter and you know all, all of that to now all of a sudden kind of shifting to this uh, statist centralization of control model to now they have a very young populace who has got longevity here that has moved in and they've moved into South Carolina, just like they have North Carolina. They're going to be here for a while. They, you know, it's not going to be a decade or 15 year affair where they're just going to magically, you know, fade off into the sunset in their golden years. That ain't going to happen. And so the, the new Democrat Party that has emerged from this, it, it, that I have seen in, you know, here in North Carolina and in South Carolina, is, is a very dangerous one. This is one mm-hmm. that, that wants the, the, you know, this, this is the party of Black Lives Matter. This has become the party of Marxism. This has become the party of, uh, uh, you know, uh, the reallocation of wealth and, and the, the, the over taxation and, and, you know, theft of property from people and, and basically justifying a lot of the, the conditions that you described. So with that said, this, this idea of zip code nationalism and having these outside influences that are moving in, you being a, a um, intelligence professional and someone that, that has transitioned from the military context of that to the civilian context of that, Talk us through, you know, how you see the situation and what steps people can take to identify those threats and mitigate them. So um, the history of the politics in the South is pretty interesting because it it goes from, you know, the the solid Democratic South being and the Democratic Party being this kind of odd uh, mix of um, white working class uh, voters and, um, and, 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 and blacks in the South and in other locations. And in the last, and since the nineties, two thousands, thereabouts, you had to shift from that as the, the working coalition to this corporate young corporate, um, uh, uh, white corporate, especially women being the base of the democratic party. Um, and that is creating a lot of uh, friction with the, you can almost say like the coalition that got Biden elected to a certain extent or has uh, been the, the traditional coalition to get Democrats elected. elected. Um, and I guess like with the the biggest the biggest indicators you can look for is. Um, when. I, I got to put this. So when you start seeing. um OK, so, OK, here, here's a good example. My county is a relatively poor rural county, um, historically Democratic, uh, historically black. Uh, but because of uh, just the last 20 years of poor investment, poor economic ability, uh, my county has actually lost about 15 percent of its population uh, in the last decade. And so that's you know, that's. Uh, not great for future opportunities, uh, whomever is here, but it's also meant that the black population has kind of come down by several percentage points and the white population has kind of come up by several percentage points to where it's about even. So, you know, that's an indicator of um, that the opportunities for the Republican Party to take advantage of, um, but 
the Republican Party in my county is a boomer is a boomer GOP. Um, if you go to their Facebook uh, page, if you go to their Twitter page, it's just constant boomer memes. Well, boomer memes aren't going to get you elected in a, in a county that's 55 percent black. Right. It's just it's just not going to get you. Right. So you're going to yeah. have to sw- you're going to you're going to have to switch your your um, your approach. And so uh, my my hope is for me is that once I'm fully retired and, and out of the military, I can uh, do a little clandestine subversion and, and take over the local GOP party. So we'll see. Um, but, you know, the a big indicator is going to be the changes in, in, in demographics of your county, of your area. So, uh, you know, the COVID had a, a very uh, COVID had a very, uh, how can I say, it's very unique uh, uh, effect on certain locations. So places like California, San Francisco, they saw drops in populations because those people then moved to uh, as I, as I, as has been called Berkeley of the South. So AKA Asheville, um, they have moved to Charlotte. They have that moved a to very accurate statement. Yeah. Very accurate statement. Yeah. Beautiful area, but it's just been uh, you know utterly ruined by the, the local, um, um, local government and local, uh, DA and, and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, one of the indicators is going to be just, a simple look at your demographics. Is your area growing? Is it stagnating or is it going backwards? So areas that are growing, sadly, are going to become are going to become uh, Democratic strongholds. Um, Charlotte, North Carolina is probably a good example of that for our area. Um, it was relatively a growing kind of area for the longest time. Um, um, McCoy was the was the was the was the mayor. He's a Republican mayor for Pat McCoy was the mayor for the longest time. And then when the moment it got on the national uh, spotlight, it became the place to be. Uh, people started mo- young millennials and and, gen- and um, younger Gen Xers and uh, Gen Zers started moving there. It became a Democratic stronghold. Like the the city council is um, is uh, I think like uh, three fourths of it is Democratic. Uh, the mayor's Democratic. Um, so. That's kind of the sad portion is that if you're in an area of the country that's growing for the most part, you're going to turn into uh, you're probably going to turn into a Democratic bastion or a stronghold. Um, and. But the, the reverse side is true, is that if you're in an area that is probably being depopulated or becoming less pros- prosperous, you're probably going to become more, more of a Republican stronghold problem is is that land geography doesn't vote right land doesn't vote right people vote um and so that that's a huge that's a huge indicator in and in how future patterns are going to go so um the uh some of the traditional strongholds in south carolina that were democratic are now going republican and some of them that were republican are now going democratic um and that i mean that's a, and that's a huge warning sign so South Carolina is probably, I think, just quick check, uh, is the most conservative state on the East Coast. So that's, you know, from Florida all the way up to, to Maine. No one, like, I mean, I, Florida obviously voted red, but I really wouldn't consider Florida to be, quote unquote, conservative. Uh, Georgia is becoming purple because of demographics. Um, and... Um, so you, so you have South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, and, and all the way up, at, you know, above the Mason-Dixon line. 
But even in South Carolina, we don't use the uh, the supermajority that we have in our House or the, the, the General Assembly to really push for, quote unquote, conservative uh, goals like school choice is still something that they're still debating on. Uh, we don't have constitutional carry. Um, we uh, the 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 abortion uh, issue becomes contentious because we have a four to five. Uh, subgroup of female Republican uh, um, politicians who side with the Democrats to torpedo that. Whether or not you know you're, you're for you know these are things are you know, whether or not you're for them or against them, they're still conservative uh, uh, policy goals. And so, um, so a state like South Carolina that it, you know will continuously you know as when Georgia turns blue, North Carolina turns blue. You know, other states in the, uh, that were traditionally red will turn blue. Will probably keep voting red for considerable future. Um, and the problem is, they're not. Uh, we're not uh, taking advantage of that. So that's a that's a huge warning sign. So um, the you can say one of the, the good things about what's going on in Florida and other locations that are passing quote unquote conservative uh, agenda uh, policies is that it's giving pause to people to move there. And that's fine. To, that's fine by me. Like if if my if my state is uh, is passing policies that I agree with that keeps you out that because you disagree with them, that's fine because it means you're not going to move here and try to change them. Right. Right. So that's fine and, by and, me. Yeah, that's one of the things, at least here in North Carolina, that's a really good thing. And I was having this, this discussion uh, with, with someone locally here yesterday over a little bit of a, a business lunch that was going on. And, and um, we, were, we were talking about a little, little bit of conservative politics and stuff. And uh, you know, the, the statement was made in passing that the angle that, that Mark Robinson is using mm. as he yes. is, you know, formulating his, his run for uh, the governorship. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in North Carolina, which which is something that uh, I think is is going to be really really impressive to watch. I think if if uh, people were impressed with Ron DeSantis, they're really going to be impressed with yes. with uh, Mark Robinson because he he has this his his approach is very genuine. Um, he he the man is about as genuine as it gets. He's a working class guy. He's saying the quiet part out loud. And the thing is, is that 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 is the key to his appeal. And, and what I said was that that it's very uh, his message is a very, you know, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, you know, like, hey, you, you don't you're not listening to what's going on at the street level. And this is transcending, you know, identitarian, uh, you know, separations, uh, you know, political divides and whatever uh, that, that maybe have been a traditional thing in, in politics. And this is this is kind of there's there's a small political realignment that may be giving way to a major political realignment that that's occurring. Um, and, and his, but the, the pushback against that was, well, yeah, but his, his angle that that's heavily rooted in religion. Yeah, because it is. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, which, which I think is wonderful. That it, it's, it's finally, it, it's a breath of fresh air for someone, you know, in conservative politics to say, you know, hey, this is what I believe, and it's not phony. 
You know, it's, it's not canned. It's not pandering to a special interest group. It's real, you know, and for him, it's real. And, um, you know, and, and, and that, that genuineness is very, very important, but it's, it's turning people off. And we're seeing this on social media uh, where the, the lefties are, are, you know, they'll say something about, about North Carolina in particular. Oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to move there. They're going to do <laughs> this, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, this goes back to uh, something that uh, you were, you were mentioning Charlotte and Charlotte being a, a giant warning sign of like, how, how, you know, the mayor of Charlotte and how this went down. The story that a lot of people don't know is about, you know, this, this all this transgender stuff that, that, you know, we see today. It, it's, it all had a, a, a focal point of where it, came, it, it was brought into the public eye. And one of those focal points was Charlotte, North Carolina. People mm-hmm. don't know this, but the mayor of Charlotte at the time that, that this occurred was a sociology professor, female, uh, gender studies professor, feminist, right? And she she ran for Charlotte City Council, then became the mayor. And one of the things in in uh, conflict theory, sociology, and uh, you know gender theory, sociology has for a long time now has been this this uh, you know th- this idea, this rotten concept that that's incorrect that gender and sex, biological sex, are mutually exclusive from one another, that, that gender is a series of roles that we're socialized into, and that sex is, is a biological thing that could, could be in flux at any given time. That's their theory, right? They believe this. And so as a uh, experiment, and they've been doing this in sociology programs across the country, where they'll, they'll remove the genders from the bathrooms hmm. and just to see if people still like what, you know, which, which bathroom they go into, you know? And, and I kid you not the the root of all this comes from a pseudo academic piece that was written about, I think it was about two decades ago. I, I don't recall, um, but it, I think it was about 20 years ago. I'll have to dust off some of my notes where this, this radical feminist was literally wrote, wrote a rant and this was published in an academic journal about how women's bathrooms in public were inadequate for women, for quote unquote, women's needs. Right. And that's where all this came from, all of it and said, Hey, you know, the women's bathrooms are full. I want to use a man's bathroom because, you know, biologically it's easier for men to take a piss in public. You know, it's, it just is. It's like, I'm sorry. That's just, that's just what it is. Uh, You know, I'm I'm sorry, sister is what it is. But um, anyway, where this went was the removal of gendered bathrooms. And now all of a sudden we're going to, you know, we're going to take this, this concept that is, that doesn't make sense to anyone outside of this little indoctrinated world of communist revolutionaries who have adopted the, this this rotten theory of, uh, you know, gender equality, which which is, it, it is a Marxist theory. Okay, this is every one of these people are Marxists, all of them. Right, this is you know there there are no you know oh well I you know I'm a radical feminist but but I'm not a Marxist. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You drive the Subaru. You have all the stickers. Yes, you are. Um, sorry to break it to you, but she instituted this this rotten concept that now that they had no sort of 
um, idea what, what the second and third order effect was going to be from it. You know, there, there are no legal protections from, you know, hey, you know, if if a girl goes into a bathroom. So Charlotte, North Carolina has got, you know, professional football team, got a professional basketball team. Right. They got a lot of things that go on there. You know, a lot of tourists that are coming in, going things in flux, bars downtown, a lot of money's coming in and out of there. And so now all of a sudden when you've got women coming in who are going, you know, let's say they go to the bar, they go in the bathroom, guy follows them, you know, he's just going in there to, to take a leak or whatever. He's got a few beers in him and this is just reality. He got a few beers in him, you know, looks over, hey, uh, he maybe like makes a comment to her or something, something less than appropriate happens, but not quite on the scale of, you know, what, what is actual sexual assault, right? But now all of a sudden, it, you know, we, we're in this this climate of guilty until proven innocent, right? Or, or you're, you're just guilty, right? And so now this, this opens up a whole can of worms in public because there's no legal protection from, hey, now, now that bar could be sued because all, all things aside, like all the emotion aside from it, here's the reality. The bar could be sued because there wasn't adequate protections to protect that situation from happening from both angles, a wrongful accusation lawsuit that implicates that bar, as well as, you know, hey, you didn't protect me. I got sexually assaulted, right? Then they wanted to apply this stuff to the schools. And so North Carolina instituted, uh, they, they brought forth House Bill 2, which basically was a, a set of protections This is this is a this is a bad idea on its face, and you didn't think that you you didn't think this one through, and so the as an adult in the room, we're going to say no, you can't do this, and that that was one of the focal points of all of the transgender stuff that that is just a wildfire that we see now, and it's a big part of the Marxist revolutionary model. And so when we see all the, the people that are coming from the left coast and they're coming here to the, uh, uh, here to the United States, they're coming from the left coast to the United States. <laughs> they, 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 yeah, they're, they're coming here to, to the southeastern United States, was, I was saying. Um, and they, they get deeply involved in mm -hmm. local politics. Yes. And conservatives, at, just as you pointed out, you know, they're sharing the boomer memes and stuff. Dude, that's not winning people over, man. You ain't you ain't winning on that. Exactly. So yeah, exactly. So um, <clears throat> the uh, so uh, you hear a couple of things, and it, and I was wanted to bring up is um, if you're in a relatively like if you're in the southeast or if you're wherever, and you live near a big city, and you have like a Twitter account, what I would suggest is making another one or or somehow protecting yourself and. Uh, follow follow the local um, social democratic uh, democrats of America's uh, web uh, Twitter accounts. Um, even though I think a, a vast chunk of them went offline when Musk took over Twitter, so you have to go open up a Mastodon account. Yeah, but I was um, say they migrated to Mastodon and yeah, and Reddit. but there's Reddit is a good uh, one. Yeah, Reddit. Yeah, um, and also the uh, like John Brown clubs and the uh, socialist uh, rifle associations. SRAs. Uh, so follow those. And 
um, and to kind of see what is going on in your area from that perspective, because um, they're they are grassroots in the sense that they are small organizations that try to mobilize large amounts of people using information that is uh, quickly shared um, and quickly uh, disseminated. So that's <clears throat> so that's something to learn from them. So whether you agree with them or not, that's something to, to learn from them. Um, but um, the other the other thing is, is um, uh, talking about politics in the southeast is. It, it could possibly be that the Republican dominance of the Southeast is just a mere blimp in American politics uh, in, in the sense that historically it was it was uh, contested, you know, like Federalists and Whigs and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, post, you know, post-Civil War, um, you know, or the, the, the po uh, post-invasion uh, in, into my home state, um, they, um, you know, dominate, it was democratic domination and then a small blip of Republican because of reconstruction and then 80, 90, you know, hundred years of domination of the democratic party, especially at the local level. I mean, some, you know, some seats, um, people realize that there were, uh, certain, uh, state legislators or general assemblies that were democratically, uh, majority in like Mississippi and Alabama and all that kind of stuff for the longest time. And that a lot of, a lot of parties or a lot of positions were still held by the Democrats until hell, probably in the last 10 years, maybe 15 years. Um, but you know, the, the, the flipping of Texas from was Ann Richards was governor Bush became governor. That was like the nineties. I mean, it's possible that Texas flips to purple in the next eight years. So, I mean, you're talking about, a you know, domination quote unquote, of what, 40 years, maybe 30 years um, until it reverts back to purple. Look, I mean, look at Georgia, Georgia, you know, Georgia, whatever you, whatever you think of the 2020 election, it's whether if it was whatever happens, right. It, you know, the margin of victory, it, you know, Georgia is, it should never have been that close uh, one way or the other um, in Georgia um, because of demographics, because of Hollywood moving in, uh, because of other types of, you know, Atlanta becoming, you, you have essentially what you have is the, the great migration backwards. Uh, uh, so you had uh, blacks moving from the South in the early 1920s uh, because of the Great Depression and other factors moving up North. And what essentially you're having is the opposite now. Then uh, you're having a, a, a great migration backwards from New York City, uh, Cleveland, Columbus, um, other types of Buffalo, other cities like that in the Northeast. Um, and so you're, you're going to see how the Southeast is, yeah, Republicanism is going to just be a, a blip on uh, historical, um, historical trends or historic, uh, historical politics. Uh, and then touching on, you know, what we can do, like what, you know, you see all this stuff going around you and you see the boomer memes being posted by GOP groups and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, there, there's, there's nothing worse than having absolute power in the sense that you, you never have any type of pushback or pressure or, or, um, you know, no one ever challenges, challenges you to grow. So, uh, what I suggest is be involved in your local politics, be involved in growing a local networking community of like-minded individuals who can, um, 
hover down on your short shortcomings and you can help them um, with theirs. That is what you do. Um, you identify where, who has the most power in your area or your, your district? Is that, is, is it the mayor or is it the county council, depending on how it's, it's, it's made up? Then you do, then you have a, then your goal is to take over that local institution. Like the one thing that conservatives are, and the Republican party has to realize is that in this whole libertarian type of streak that's currently in it is that the government, the government is not getting any smaller. It's just not, it hasn't like uh, it, you know, from the time of George Washington to now it has grown. And so how do you harness the, the structure and apparatus of the government to uh, forward conservative policies and ideals. That is by taking over the, your local organizations and, and, and working up. So taking over your school boards, which there's already several uh, PACs out there that are doing that. Um, target your mayor's race, target your uh, city council race, school board. Um, hell, get on your uh, uh, water management board if you live near, you know, like a watershed or something like that. Like, Get your name and get uh, get into local politics, no matter what the position. Be the, the local doll catcher, but be in your local government and be at your local um, community meetings, whether that's going to be your uh, county council meetings or whatever. Be at your meetings and be involved. That is the number one thing that you can do in order to, um, to uh, subvert any type of activities that would run counter to... Um, conservative ideals. Like I made this post the other day about being a libertarian is that I, I used to be a libertarian until I, until I had kids in, in the sense that you need structure and order in society in order to protect children from the worst out there. And um, that is what being involved in growing your local community, growing your network is going to do is going to create the situation or create opportunities for you to to uh, to reinforce um, society societal norms, yeah, that's yeah, that's as simple as I can put it. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a, a, an incredibly important point that I think a lot of people miss you know, when they they talk about. And I, I've been heavily critical of the the quote unquote ANCAP crowd, which uh, whatever. Um, I think uh, my friend. Stan, the Virginia gentleman, they, <laughs> they, you know, they call themselves anarchists to, to try and sound erudite. Uh, I think that that's probably the most succinct way to put it that, but it, you can't, you can't live in a society absent any sort of rules it, with mm -hmm. this, this moral objectivism. It isn't, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Um, no. you know, and, and it's, uh, in many ways, I mean, I understand and, and don't disagree with the notion of, of a uh, free man deciding his, you know, what's best for himself. And it's, but at the same time, there has to be a common thread, you know, a, a rule of recognition, as uh, legal theorist H.L.A. Hart would put, uh, mm -hmm. the, the rule of recognition that we all recognize there's a, a basic moral code. That, that yeah. cannot be violated. And this is where law exists. This is where it begins. And when you do not have that, when you don't have moral cohesiveness, and this is where we are in the United States in, in totes, 
is we have we have a conflict of what the root of morality is. We have on one side the 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 progeny of of whatever passes for Western civ now being moral objectivism. And that, that's that's what this is. It's it's moral objectivism. It's whatever mm-hmm. whatever you deem thus is what goes. On the other hand, there's a screaming of of the and a vastly growing movement of traditional Americans and, and really traditional thought. Maybe, you know, hey, may, maybe this idea of, of uh, democracy, of, which is essentially mob rule. Maybe this isn't such a good idea. And maybe maybe the idea of Plato's Republic, which was utopian of, you know, because the, the conditions in which it exists requires an educated populace and requires a populace that, that all has the common interest at heart. Well, the problem with that is common interest, communism, is that who determines that? Mm-hmm. And when we do not have communism, communalism, when we all do not have the same interests at heart, when we have competing interests, and we're not we're not um, honest enough with ourselves to admit what those competing interests are, because we're, we're not, and and that that is the problem that I see with conservatism is there is no um, unifying set of of statements saying this is what we believe coherently. You know, and, and th- this was uh, something I was, I was going to refrain from commenting on, but I'm going to throw it out there. The whole issue with, with uh, you know, James Lindsay and mm. him, the uh, quote that he said that was very, very contentious uh, online, saying that, uh, you know, oh, all they do is lie, just like Jesus, is what he said. Because James Lindsay is an academic, and he comes from the moral objectional or, or the objective moralism and moral relativism school this 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 where, where all of this ideology comes from that that morality morals and the guiding doctrine of a society are all socially defined alone this is where atheism comes from mm-hmm. okay that, that we we only define society based on our own terms and we adhere to it based on our own terms well that's a very dangerous thing because that it, it, what it does is it is caustic to social stability. That's where we are. That's where we find ourselves. And so when you no longer have the roots of, of a moral code, right, you can point to Christianity as the roots of a moral code, right? Doesn't matter denomination, doesn't matter, you know, um, the, the, you know, the Methodists think a little different from the Presbyterians, from the Episcopalians, from the Baptists, from the Catholics. And they're like, all right, you know, I get all that. But at the end of the day, there's a standard set of mor- morals and a code of Christianity at its most basic form that says this is this is thus. This is your guiding doctrine. And that provides the stability for civilization. This is why in Islamic civilizations, you know, we, we, you know, for the past at least 20 years, we have been indoctrinated in the West to say, you know, that that madrasas are evil, that Sharia law is evil and all these all these things that that, that are aspects of their civilization are evil. And, and you know, we, we, we have been indoctrinated to believe that. And now this has led to a questioning of that. You know, do I agree with Islam? No, obviously no. But at the same time, I can respect the fact that their their civilization is built 
on a standardized and rigid set of morality. This is a moral code which they adhere to for good or bad. But this, that's totally objective for good or bad. And when, when we no longer have that, and, and that, that's one of the problems that, that I think is, is really um, your, your notion of zip code nationalism really addresses directly. Because when I look around at my neighbors, we have a common set of, of, of morals. We have a common code that even if, you know, let's say uh, North Carolina general statute on murder, manslaughter, assault, whatever, went away tomorrow and it was all gone still know what that is we would yes. still know in our society what is acceptable and what is not what we will tolerate and what we will not and everyone can adhere to it because we all have a common set of morals and that's absent race identity whatever like all, all the all the things that that you want to you know throw into the mix that, that are political we can take all those out of the mix this we're, we're from here we're of here Right, being from somewhere and being of somewhere. I know that's a term you're familiar with. <laughs> like, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm from this location, but I ain't of that location. Yeah, kind of. And that's when yeah. everybody is of the place like thinks that you're uppity. Like you, oh, does he think he's better than me? Like he's driving around in that new truck. I ain't got a new truck. Like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna hate on him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's that's rule life, but, man. That's just the way oh yeah. Uh, and I think a, a good indicator of what you're talking about is um, of the the moral decay is, <clears throat> or the 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 lack of a of a, of a standardized uh, na national type of moral framework is we're about to enter a month of certain lifestyles and certain things being thrown in your face. Certain companies are going to change their profiles. They're going to um, you know things are going to be highlighted on social media. You know things are going to be sold in stores. Um, and, um, Google can't even change the, it's homepage for Easter, right? So like you have one day and Google can't even, uh, can't even acknowledge the fact of it can't even acknowledge Easter, but then you'll have companies and spend an entire month on the lifestyles choices of certain individuals here in the United States, even though it represents a very small percentage of the United States. Uh, coupled with the fact that um, kind of going along with the whole libertarian aspect is the someone when I said when I made that comment about being libertarian and no longer being libertarian because I have children, you know, they they're like, well, if it's uh, I mean, if it's uh, aggression, like beyond aggression, you know, what should be illegal? You know, they're talking about like murder and theft and assault and all that kind of stuff. And. You know, I, I plainly responded back and I said, well, it should be illegal for someone to wag their dick in the face of my daughter as she walks down the street. Right. Aggressive or not, you know what, you know, uh, you know, does, aggression has nothing to do with it. Right. So, you know, keep that in, like that coupled with the fact that certain cities, certain locations here in the United States over the next month are going to. To celebrate that slash the uh, rise of um, the rise of um, uh, drag queen story hour slash the the whole Do L.A. Dodgers situation with the anti-Catholic group. If you've seen the videos with that, um, yeah. So like, so you, yeah. So like, 
again, those are indicators of a of of uh, a lack of a of a national moral framework that, um, yeah, that we that yeah that the United States no longer shares or has, and you know there could be a, um, you know the, I'm a data guy, right? I love data. I love looking at graphs and looking at. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll do U.S. Census track data for hundreds of years and all this kind of stuff. And <clears throat> there's this um, Gallup poll that shows that it, like it's between like the 50s going into the late 60s, trust in government was actually going up. And then the policies of the mid 60s, right, uh, because you have a lagging effect, it's just the trust in government is goes straight down like it's in the 70 percentiles, you know, of, of something like that, and then just plummets. And just look at the government policies that existed that were that came about in the mid 60s and stuff like that, and to show um, the trust in government. And and then that I think part of that is you start having the breakdown of um, the the shared moral framework of the United States. Yeah, I mean the the Great Society, uh, Lyndon Johnson's Great Society programs. Uh, welfare and you know all of these these safety nets that um you know i don't i don't personally adhere to the theory that they were well intended uh at all mm-hmm. no one wants to know about uh linda baines johnson nah nah man like yeah, yeah exactly it was, not, it was not well intended but look at what it ended up doing i mean you know mm-hmm. you you took you essentially took the black community and it destroyed it it destroyed mm-hmm. it and yeah. but, uh, it, but it, also it, don't i mean don't forget um, I mean, look at Appalachia too. Yep. Uh, well, that, that's I mean, what I was about to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That you know, the the conversely, this is something you know, like like Dave Chappelle commented on this uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago about you know, it's you know he and he lives in in an extremely rural part of Southern Ohio, which mm-hmm. you know I've done a couple of classes up there, and I, I know folks that live in that part of Southern Ohio, man, and it it's it's destitute. Like, yeah. it, you know, and, and so um, there's there's really not a whole lot of difference between the, the like the, the family dynamic and, and the social underpinnings of what goes on in, in uh, Appalachia or what I call Appalachistan, you know, mm-hmm. and, and how uh, the, the, the social the essentially all the social problems. You know, the, 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 you know, pillbillies, which is, a, you know, a yeah. term heel, uh, here, uh, hillbilly heroin, pillbillies, you know, uh, the, the rise of prescription drugs and how this has been, yeah. you know, Purdue pharmaceutical and everything has been pushed over on a subset. Thanks, Sackler family. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and, and it's, it's been pushed over on a subset of society. It's preying on people that, that have now institutional poverty. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's, it's easy for a lot of people to point at, urban populaces and, and you know and, and say because it's visible it's very visible and there's mm-hmm. not a whole lot of cameras and stuff that that are that are really uh showing what what has happened in appalachia and that's why you know when when um hillary clinton was running for office and, and you know, she was saying basically we're, we're gonna put coal out of business as a war on coal mm-hmm. man that's that's all they got that's how all these yeah. people got, man. It, and, yeah. and so, you, you know, basically, like all the other things, like the complaints that you and I have about, like, you know, Benghazi and all the foreign misgivings, like all that. Joe Main Street may or may not really give a shit about that. He may not care. 
Like that's because it doesn't really immediately affect him. It affects us, affects our community, but it doesn't really affect him. But when you say like, "Hey, yeah, this is a war on coal," and all of a sudden your your fuel costs, where like you know you you're you're driving like I make fun of you know and, and like poke fun at, at the guys that you know driving the the 2003 you know Chevy Cobalt or whatever like you know with the the Dale Earnhardt sticker in the back window. You know, and like the the white trash chariot and everything. You know, I, I might poke fun at that, but that that's because it's a reality, man. This is reality mm-hmm. for these people. That's all they can afford. Like at the end of the day, like that's all they can afford. That's and they had to like they had to sacrifice something to be able to 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 just buy that car, and they got to keep gas in that to get to their job where they 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 may not even be making minimum wage, man. Mm-hmm. And so like the the. And, and now all of a sudden you're going to say, well, now your gas is going to be $3 a gallon or $4 a gallon, right? Oh, oh but you could just buy an electric car. Like the hubris of what happens <laughs> at the most elite echelon. Well, you could just buy an electric car. Well, how much is an electric car? 70 grand. Well, if I only make 22000 a year or whatever, 70 grand might as well be $70 billion. It doesn't yeah. matter. Mm-hmm. Laugh it off. I ain't don't, even going to yeah, don't even like you know without even mentioning like the infrastructure. Like how like right. how are you going to get infrastructure into the haulers? You can't. You, you can't. You can't do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It's it, you know, and so it, like this whole this whole tone deafness to that reality, I see as being being very similar, at least analogous to the tone deafness that that goes on a lot of these urban areas. Mm-hmm. And and the thing is, is that the the uh, I think. Maybe one of the differentiations is the political leadership of the urban areas are not offering solutions. Like they, mm-hmm. they, they don't they don't have a real tenable solution, whereas the, the political leadership in the rural areas can't offer a political yeah. solution mm-hmm. because they, they don't they may have one on paper and they may say, you know, man, like this is how we're going to fix this, but they really can't do it. Because yeah. they, they don't, it's it's not feasible. You don't have the money to do it. You don't yeah. have the, and, the means to do it. And, and, and talk about being tone deaf for politicians. So you know the the urban slash you know Democrat uh, politicians. You know they're tone deaf to that um, monetary policy of 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 uh, uh, of electric vehicles. Like where are people going to get the money to to buy that kind of stuff? Where like how are we going to put the infrastructure? into into the locations like i use my county as a kind of example when i think about this type of stuff is like like how like how are you going to put in infrastructure for recharging in some of these locations that have got like i just it it does the way that the system is is made up i just don't understand how they're going to do it and then um um so you have so the the urban and democratic uh, politicians, they're tone deaf in that sense. And then you have Republicans and uh, or, or uh, rural politicians who are tone deaf to the, the needs of working class Americans, like of the big concern is always health care. Like how are people going to pay for their next visit to the ER? All right. Sorry, brother. Drop me out for a second. Nah, Danny Musk. 
<sighs> Elon. It, it's like I appreciate I appreciate the, the the internet when it works, but when it doesn't work, it's uh, it can be a pain. Yeah, man, it's a you know it's all part mm-hmm. of it. It's all mm-hmm. part of it. I mean, you 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 know it. it there's trade offs. There's trade offs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, you it's one of those realities, folks. Anybody that's thinking about moving out to the sticks, you, you get to you get to put up with intermittent cell uh intermittent cell phone service, intermittent internet yeah. service and access. It just is what it is. Yeah. But hey. Well, I mean, I'd rather I'd rather pay I'd rather pay Elon, you know, like a hundred and ten dollars a month uh with no contract versus paying um I don't know, like who was like uh Biostat. I, I would have to sign a two-year contract with Biostat, and if I wanted to break it, then uh, I would have to pay the remainder of the contract and they cap data. No thanks. Yeah, and their service sucked like yeah. so bad. So like HughesNet was like that, man. It's yeah, HughesNet. So yeah, yeah, that's the other one I'm trying to think of. Yeah. Ah man, like dude, you know, like I get it. it like for for us for a long time, that's the only option. That's all you got. It's just like, oh man. So you know, I would have to. Podcasting is is a especially doing interviews is a rough animal when that that's your only option for internet. Man. Yeah. Just, oh yeah. Ooh. But you know, it's it's at least with Starlink, it's you know, I can I can do things like you know, streaming and uh, a little bit better. You yeah. know, it's 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 a lot bit better. I mean, it's been it's been working pretty well. Stable. Oh yeah, yeah, it works great. But um. Yeah, the, we were talking about the whole tone deafness of uh, yeah of, of electric cars, and you know, again, like seventy grand might as well be seventy billion dollars. Like, yeah, you just not, and they, they're so tone deaf to this. But the, what I was going to add to that is, is, it's all part of the grift. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. it's all part of the grifter show. It's all part of how you know the the political classes benefit economically from. The corporatization of all this mm-hmm. and the corporations are the ones that write or at least give input on a lot of the policy that's being written that applies to Main Street. And, yeah. and oh, yeah. that's a that's a sad state of affairs, but it is the reality that we live mm-hmm. in. Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, there's that um, you know, Nancy Pelosi stock uh, tracker on Twitter. It talks about not only her oh, yeah. Um, yeah. that not talks about her trading stocks, but all politicians and Congress trading stocks, and you know how people become multimillionaires. Um, there's that uh, uh, that senator from is it Maryland? I don't know. So like uh, he just announced his retirement. He's like one of three who announced his retirement, and like he's been in, he's been in uh, Congress for forty years, and he's like a multimillionaire. I'm like. How? Yeah. Like Richard I Burr mean, is another one. Yeah. Oh God, that whole situation. Yeah. You're in North Carolina, man. Mm-hmm. You know, get out, Richard. Richard yeah. Burr. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're how? Still I mean, you, they write economic policy. They 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 are in these briefings. They get information beforehand, and and no matter how many safeguards they quote unquote they put in place, blind trusts, whatever, like. I can still call my buddy and say, Hey, invest in this and I'll split it, you know, 70, 30 with you. Like that's, I have no doubt that that, that happens. Like, um, and, and it's just, it's just so dirty. Like, like how, like I get it. Like, and the, and the fact that Congress has paid what close to $200,000 a year, like, I mean, you want to, you want to talk about the, 
the, the median income of America and the, the income of, of Congress, like you want to talk about that disparity, you want to talk about that, um, uh, that issue, then they don't want to have that as discussion. Like, you know, nah, yeah, nah, nah. That's why, you know, you, mm-hmm. you saw like strange bedfellows in, in uh, certain political circles. That's why you saw mm-hmm. Ron Paul and Dennis Krusenich, you know, kind of on paper, you would think that these two guys are the, the complete opposite ends of the spectrum, man. You got, you got Ron Paul that is, you know, total Austrian theory economics and, you know, get rid of the Fed and like, you know, no, absolutely zero control, very much, you know, anti-federalist platform that he, he's running on. And on the other hand, you've got Dennis Krasinich, who's, who's uh, you know, very much a, a product of um, <clears throat> labor unions and, you know, labor union uh, culture of, of Ohio. But it, but he's really standing up for, for Main Street and, and the working class man out there working class families and they're meeting in the middle on a lot of stuff saying, Hey, you know, a lot of this, a lot of these policies, the same things that we oppose is occurring because of this causal factor, you know? And, and so I think at least to some degree, like there is, I I do think a good friend of mine keeps saying this over and over that there's a political realignment uh, in America that is coming. And I think that's something that you certainly alluded to, with uh, you know your statement that, that conservatism, really it, it republicanism specifically is it's kind of a minor blip on the the uh, American body politic, especially in the Southeast. And I think that you're right about that. Uh, but th- there is going to be um, a a political realignment that I think that is occurring before our eyes. And we're not necessarily seeing it. Everybody's not seeing it yet. But it's it's gonna it, it, it's happening, and I think that it, uh, for me at least, it is a uh, this this reawakening of of populism, and the 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 reestablishment of populism and populist uh, notions at the base versus corporatism, and that's what it's all boiling down to. And and you know and and I see that above everything else. That's what's occurring. And, and the power structure in Washington, D.C. that has its fingers in all the local, the, you know, state level governments, they're really afraid of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, yeah, I've definitely become more of a populist, uh, you know, like, quote unquote, populist over um, the last several years. Um, it was actually my tenure at uh, Clemson back in the early uh, or the mid 2000s or 2010s, um, the kind of. Um, transforming even before the, the election of Trump in 2016. Um, but yeah, the power structure uh, is very afraid of populism. You know, they, uh, you know, they're afraid, you know, populism of the people, you know, uh, and so they're very afraid that they, they talk about democracy, quote unquote, democracy and, and giving power and giving power to the people, but they're truly afraid of, of giving that type of power um, to the people. Um, you know, the, one of the, the, one of the recent, um, former, uh, congressmen in, uh, Illinois, and I'm not going to put any names out there, but a former congressman in Illinois who, um, who got, um, uh, redrawn out of his district and is no longer in Congress. He, um, uh, I mean, he, he, he loves talking about country, uh, over party and democracy now and, but he really doesn't like it when the people, when people have opinions 
against his, especially when it comes to uh, how money is spent in, say, in foreign conflicts in Ukraine or um, just how, you know, any, any type of opinion that runs counter to the, the, quote, the Republican Party's pre-Trump era Republican Party narrative. Yeah. Yeah. But then you also have people like who are the current who is the current uh, minority leader in the Senate. He, you know, is very much about just keeping power, not uh, uh, meticulously trying to keep power and trying to not to tip the, the tip the boat. Um, and then you have people who are of recent Ohio who are in Ohio who just got recently elected, who is very much about tipping the boat and asking questions that are um uncomfortable to people who have been in the uh, establishment for 60 years. And I made a, I made a joke the other day that um, I made a joke the other day that um, the, unless you, cause this was the whole like Diane, Diane Feinstein situation where like she's being carted around in a, Zombie in a uh, Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> unless, yeah. unless you jumped into, unless you jump into Normandy at 41 years of age, um, then you have to retire. You can't run for a re-election as a senator uh, after your 60th birthday. Something along those lines. So. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's fair. Like, it, yeah. is it too much to ask for mental, a demonstration of mental mm -hmm. competency of people that have the ability to, to severely restrict our lives and our yeah. livelihood? Like, is this too much to ask but, it, but apparently it is, you know, when it's too mm. much to ask for accountability, it's too much to ask that too. It's, it's, you know, this is a bridge too far. No, I mean, and, 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 it's, and again, it's, it's a, that's an indicator. It's an indicator when it shows, like when the average, age, like I get it, like the average age of Americans are, is going up, comma, but in the last few years, the average age is going down, like life expectancy. Um, right. But it's an indicator that, you know, um, the average age of, of U.S. senators and, and U.S. representatives is, is going up significantly, and it's not uh, really uh, the uh, reflecting of the demographics in the United States. But it's also an indicator that uh, that Congress, people in Congress, are multimillionaires. Like that's a huge indicator. Like that. Why? Like how is that even possible? Right. Yeah, they're only there for self enrichment, man. It's. it's mm -hmm. I think, but, but that's one of those things that, that is, it's, it's ever more becoming readily apparent to, to the American populace. That this is what's going on. Like, mm -hmm. and they're all seeing it, whether it's, it's, you know, hard left, militant left, or whether it's, you know, the, the populist right um, that is, that is awakening to this more and more people are awakening to it. Mm -hmm. Um and, you know, while I, I think that, that the left is, is fundamentally wrong on, on pretty much everything, uh, the one thing that you can credit them for doing is recognizing that there is a problem. You know, if for nothing yes. else, like with the, the Bernie bros and all that, you can at least credit them for, for the fact that they recognize that something is wrong. And, uh, you know, the, just the, the solutions that they offer are not good ones, but. Exactly. And that's and that's a conversation that I'm not going to get into is about like, um, you know, like certain things are problems. Right. So the, the solution, how you so, um, the solution that you come up with is going to determine whether or not you're 
quote unquote a Republican or quote unquote a Democrat. Like, you know, saying that like healthcare is an issue in the United States, right? Well, what are your solutions for it? The solution is if the solution is worse than the problem, then you're more likely going to be a Democrat. I'm just saying, <laughs> no. Um, but um, um, but no, like you know, I I I like that point that people like um, who are Democrat or the Bernie the Bernie Bros. They can identify problems. It's just that their solutions may be um, a tax, a hundred percent tax over a billion dollars in income. Like that's just asinine. Like that's just dumb. You know, um, but again, like you're, you are, in, you are, you're pointing out problems that, you know, people who are on the other side of the spectrum would never say is a problem. Like, really? Right. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it, and, but the, the things that they are pointing out as problems and, and like the, you know, the, I, I think that it's it's fascinating. I, I'll pay attention to certain lefty outlets. You know, Democracy mm-hmm. Now is one of them, and I, I've I've mentioned them uh, several times in uh, past podcasts. And the audience is, is familiar with me uh, stating it. And Democracy Now is is a communist propagandist. I mean, they're part of mm-hmm. the Socialist International and, and all of that. Um, you know, but it's important to take their perspective into account because they're telling you things. And a lot of the stuff that they're pointing out is issues at, at the heart of, of, you know, things that we're discussing here. And, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, w- when it comes to the political aspects, they're not wrong in the issues that they're pointing out. It's that their implied solution is, is not the correct one. And Correct. when conservatives, the problem that I see, and this kind of goes back to the whole idea of libertarians and the ANCAPs and whatever, is that they don't understand what the question is. Yes. And when you don't understand the question, you can't offer a competent answer. Conservatives, mm-hmm. mainstream conservatives don't understand the question either. Like if, if all they are fed is a steady diet of uh, Glenn Beck, and, and here's, here's the thing, is that, that – uh, Conservative, quote unquote, media is very much a Hegelian dialectic. OK, and, and think let, let, let's let's think about this. So Hegelian, the, the traditional Hegelian dialectic of uh, problem, reaction, solution. Right. So thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Right. Which which is the, the standard uh, for, for, you know, academia. This, this is the way that the things work. This is the way that we break things down and we analyze things no matter what the topic is. So. In conservative media, mainstream conservative media, it is offered up in this manner. So there, it is by no accident that you have Glenn Beck on in the nine to noon slot, right? In most markets, especially here mm-hmm. on the East. Like conservative talk radio, zero nine to noon. That's what you're going to hear is Glenn Beck. So you're hearing on your way to work. That's not by accident. On your way to work and your morning process, you are hearing thesis. You are hearing problem. From the noon to three slot, the old Rush Limbaugh slot, mm-hmm. you have reiterated of problem, right? So they've got, you know, the, the CIA guy and the lawyer, like whatever their name is. Right, you got those guys, which I can't, I can't listen to that stuff. Um, uh, uh, Buck Sexton, like yes, yeah. yeah. 
I, I like Rush. You know, I thought oh, yeah. he was late because he was he was such a great he was a great orator. He was a he was a great entertainer. Um, he was he was someone who who was just sharp witted. I really enjoyed. But these two guys, I can't. I just can't. I can't do it. But um, but but again, you have more problem, right? And so and, and there's reaction thrown in there. Now on the drive home, when you're leaving work, you're driving home, you have Sean Hannity, who is synthesis. Mm-hmm. So you, have, you have thesis, antithesis, synthesis at the end of the day. And that's why never none of these guys will ever offer real solutions. They won't do that. And that's by design. They're not going to do that. Um, there is no, there is no real solution that they can offer that that's tenable. They'll never do that because mm-hmm. you do that. that if, if you create a solution to a problem, you, you, you no longer have a, a reason to exist. And the, here's the other thing about them is that if you listen to the advertisers, they have an advertising package. Well, where does their money go? Like where, where that, so you can't just magically become the, the advertiser, for you know the Glenn Beck show, you can't just say, "Hey, you know, like I have this company, I'm going to be an advertiser." Right? There's, there's a whole industry that that is there's that packages the ad agencies like Madman style stuff that packages groups of ads together that targets a specific audience. And where does that money turn around and go? Right? It's that money is turned around and, and sent to specific causes. The left does this as well, right? The, the left side of corporatism does this as well they, they do the same things right you, people people don't understand that this is this is a pattern that's stuck on repeat and it's a problem it's it's a very real problem but it's one that if you don't recognize that it's a problem and you don't see that it's a problem you're never going to understand and so they offer they only offer reactions to whatever the news stories of the day are and you're mm-hmm. never actually fed something that is a tenable solution to anything because you're never going to get it. And as long as conservatives think inside of that paradigm, and this is the only media to which they digest, then they're never going to get a real solution. And this is why they, they can Tucker. This is the reason yeah. why. And I was very critical right. for a long time because he, he was, he's, I saw that as he was playing the Howard Beale role, the outrage role, and they mm. put him on, he, he was framed to be that. They put him on at that time slot because once you get home, you know, you look at Fox News' primetime slot, you know, how they, they structure their shows, it's very much the same way. Thesis, antithesis, synthesis at the end. And ironically, Hannity's at the end of each of those. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, you know, I go to bed feeling better. He's tick-tock, tick-tock. There's all bombshell <laughs> evidence. It's going to be even out. Like, Shut up, man. Yeah, like, there's nothing It's ever going to happen. Shut the plan. On shit. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. But they yeah. got rid of Tucker because Tucker took that role that he knew he knew he was there to play that role. The Howard Beale role of the, mm-hmm. I'm mad as hell, and we're going to do something about it. We're gonna, but he, he used that. And I didn't. I, I I was I was I was wrong about this. I thought that yeah, I didn't trust him, and thought he was just playing it up. But it turned out he was he was legit. Yeah, he was he, he was played, genuine. Yeah, yeah. Was that he took that opportunity and ran with it for something productive and for something that was good and, and was moving in the right direction. And and you know they they canned him for it. But the the thing was was that it only made him bigger. And I think that he he might be one of the few. I mean, we've seen this before with other 
uh, uh, people that, that Fox elevated and, you know, they kind of, uh, did things for for maybe different motivations and they never recovered from it. You know, Megan Kelly yeah. is a good example. Never recovered. Yep. Never recovered from her disaster. Um, she she didn't and she'll never recover from that. Um, you know, Andrea Tanteros is another one. She'll never recover. Um, you know, she she's gone. She ain't coming back. Like, you know, it's is because she she spoke out about some stuff and it's mm-hmm. you know, gonna go away. And so Tucker Tucker will succeed though, and, and oh yeah, that elevated him. That that became a badge of honor rather than a pariah. And um, oh yeah, I mean, he, like he went, like he got, you know, the system that he rails against um, um, took out revenge against him. So yeah, that's going to be, you know, you strike me down, I become, you know, more powerful than I was before type situation. Um, and then, you know, on a personal note, Tucker Carlson is uh, like my wife's um, hall pass. So like if um, if Tucker Carlson you know ever left his wife or you know or she went up and my wife went up to Maine and they happened to meet each other and, yeah that's that, 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 that's her hall pass. <laughs> like ah honey it's all good you know it's Tucker Carlson yeah. it's all good it's just it's Tucker Carlson so yeah I'm like all right yeah but no um but you make you make a great point when you brought up like if no real solution is proposed because if real solu- if if the problem is solved then the grievance uh industry around that problem uh no longer gets paid no matter what it is right no matter what the issue is um and so um that goes back to you know when i talk about uh zip code problems and zip code nationalism you know there are policies and and uh, procedures and that historically have worked in the past to deal with high crime and, you know, high murder rate, high, whatever. And because of the, the political party that typically dominates those zip codes, you're, you're not going to get it because there is a grievance, um, industry that surrounds it and they make millions, if not billions of dollars off of, off of grievance. I mean, it, it, it's we, we see this. You see it a lot on the left, too. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, BLM is is a very, very good example of this. Yeah. There there was a select few people that got real rich off BLM. Yes, they did. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of a lot of folks on the, the populist right were identifying this early on, you know, yet pointed, oh, you're a racist. It's like. Man, you, you can say whatever you want, um, but th- this is what's going on. I mean, you know, and, and they were they were literally they learned from from, you know, some of the best grifters in the industry. You know, Al Sharpton's mm-hmm. great. Grifter, oh, yeah. Great. Grifter. Yeah. You can shake these corporations down. Yeah. Really. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's that's he made all his money off of that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and people that don't see it for what it is, they don't have the courage to call it out. You know, for, for what people I, forget I mean, hit, what, people forget that his his words uh, directly led to the um, to the, the the burning down and death of an individual in New York City. So yeah, yeah. At who, least who was like that we yeah. know of? Yeah, that we know of. Uh, and then who was who was the main instigator behind the was it the 
she she claimed that she was raped by four police officers. Is that like it was that uh, it was up in New York City, I think, years ago. Is that what led to the burning down of the that yeah. jewelry store? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We wanted to say Anita Hill, but that was uh that was Clarence. No, Thomas. no, no. Uh, I don't know. That was I a Clarence you, I Thomas accuser. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, man, me, uh, man, Clarence Thomas needs to hang on just for. Couple more years, just don't don't retire. Fighter, and, yeah, he, don't, he don't. ain't going nowhere. He's oh, a fighter. Yeah. He's a fighter. And, and and I'm gonna say, man, Clarence Justice Thomas, he he strikes me as one of those guys that, you know, when when you challenge him, when you you throw like the more people throw stuff at him, he looks at that like, all right, game on. Like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about retiring and going and playing golf for, for the rest of my days and you know, yeah. enjoying life with my wife and everything. You know what? Yeah, yeah. I think I think I think I'm gonna stick around for a little longer just because. Have you because. read his? Uh, have you read his uh, biography? No, no, I haven't. Yeah, yeah, I, I want to read it because just I mean, I've read snippets of it, and um, you know, just the way that he was raised by his grandfather and what it instilled in him is just—it's very. Uh, um, very inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I mean, he, he, from his interviews, from his, um, from, from his candor, the, the things, his public statements that, that I've seen, mm-hmm. him make, um, this very, very impressive man. Uh, very, uh, someone that you can tell, I mean, obviously to get where you got his station in life, he's obviously extremely impressive. Uh, but, but he he's um, he strikes me as as a man of, of very deep thought, of high education, extremely high intellect, uh, and, and is is fit to be in office. You know, as as juxtaposed to uh, maybe some of the other justices that that we see uh, oh, yeah. who speak much and say little. Um, you know that that you just uh, you know. Um, you scratch your heads. I mean, I, I, I find it very hard to believe that we could find someone who leaked, uh, who put doc images of documents up on Discord. Yeah, that, that sourced them from from Sipper, and you know, and, and you know, obviously, you and I are both very familiar with with that whole process. Uh, uh-huh. They could find him. They could find him in in like no time. Know who he is, but this tiny little pool of people that are staffers in the Supreme Court. That leaked the Dobbs decision. We just can't. I think they have. I I, I, I think they have uh, identified who the leaker is. But uh, oh, yeah. a gentleman's a gentleman's agreement has been struck between all the justices um, for them not to um, release it. But essentially, not allowing also, but not because they one of two things. The uh, most of the law schools that are pipelines or, I mean, into into our uh, legal system are liberal as anything. So mm-hmm. if they identify this individual, more than likely they will just they would just make that person's star rise even further. So they they don't want to do that. They don't want to encourage that type of activity. Um, but also they're not going to like this person's career in. You can say constitutional law is essentially over, like they won't get any recommendations or anything like that. But they I, I think that. Uh, um uh, Roberts and them have come up with an agreement that they're not going to release the name of the leaker. 
hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's my take on it too. I mean, I, I, I make that statement, you know, semi, uh, humorously and, you know, I, I personally, my personal theory on that is, is that it was one of the justices. That did. You think so? Yep. Uh, which one do you, you think liberal or conservative? Liberal. What would, what, what, like, what would be their motivation? Just why not? Stirring the pot. I mean, I mean, the you know, they're ideologues. They, they, they're ideologues, and and yeah. putting up. No, I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm not necessarily. Agree. I mean, I've heard. I mean, I've heard that same thing, and it yeah. was the reasoning behind that person saying it was they, um, uh, they wanted to pressure Roberts into. Um, kind of watering down his opinion because it was just a draft opinion that was circulated and they wanted to pressure him into kind of siding, not stripping um, Roe v. Wade of total power. Leaving an open door for it to be re-argued, essentially. Writing a vague enough opinion to where it would be, Mm -hmm. it it would necessitate a re-argument at a future date. It was mm-hmm. that that was essentially my um, my take on it. And and uh, that's just kind of what I think. But that's it. You know, it doesn't matter what I think. I'm just <laughs> again, I'm some I'm some hillbilly in the woods with too many guns, man. That's that's all. That's all I'm ever going to be. You're, you know? you're, but you're, I am you're, one with a best selling book. You are true. And, and you're not quite a non, but um, the best, most insightful um um, accounts out there are typically smaller and or anon accounts. Yep. You know, like, like I'm not, I'm not going to go to John Brennan's Twitter account to look for insightful intelligence uh, analysis, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm not going to him posting it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm not going to go to anybody who uh, was any, uh, I mean, I say this as a member of the IC, but I'm not going to go to anybody in the as a, uh, in the who has been a member of the IC for the last 20 years when you talk about like debacle after debacle after debacle. Like you know, any anytime <laughs> you know they uh, was it, it recently got released that uh, they didn't. There was a airstrike that they thought killed some sort of major member of Al Qaeda or some sort of I can't remember a terrorist organization. Oh, but it yeah. turns to find out it was just a Gert, uh, Gert Herger and his family. You're like, what? Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was supposed to be a guy from uh, Coruscant or something like some, some mm-hmm. ship. That they, they were like, "Oh, it's Coruscant!" Like, well, who the hell is Coruscant? Like, oh, well, Cor- it's Coruscant. It's like, oh, you mean like Greater Coruscant that they believe is like all of Central Asia, of all all of mm-hmm. Islamic Central Asia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one is like, oh, well, that's not really even a group. Yeah, yeah, but we killed the leader of it. Oh, well, yeah, he's a goat herder and his family. Yeah. yeah like, yeah, but but you know, you know John Kirby over the horizon, everything's over the horizon. Anyway, and then, brother, and yeah, and then you go back to what happened when we uh, left Afghanistan and the Kabul and that whole airstrike and that situation. Pathetic. Yeah, you you, you want to talk about a, a warning and indicator about our military capability? That's a warning, <laughs> uh, indicator, and warning. Yeah. That and rusty early Burke class destroyers. Oh my God! Yeah, mismatched Air Force uniforms and, and all the things. All the things. I'm glad our our, our military is becoming incompetent. 
in a way. It means that yeah. they, they can't they can't be used against us. Or, and again, it goes it goes to what I say. Um, our military is being built to manage war, not win war. Right. Brother. Yep. How can people follow you? So they can follow me at Peter Rengel uh, on Twitter. Uh, I am actually in the process of, uh, I have a couple of drafts ready. I'm going to start a, a Substack here sh- uh, shortly. Uh, I am also, I just built uh, indicatorsandwarnings.com. So that should be up and running here uh, in the next day or so. Uh, yeah. And yeah, so that's going to be the best way to get a hold of me is uh, Twitter is going to be the best way right now. Awesome, brother. Well, yep. thank you for being on with us. God bless. I look forward to having you on again very soon, man. All right, folks. Peter Rangel, definitely give him a follow on Twitter, indicatorsandwarnings.com, and we're going to have information on that substack coming up uh, as soon as it launches in the very near future. Brushbeater.store, get all your logo gear, handbooks, Field manuals, that is where you can get genuine copies, not those some of those bootleg copies that are floating around on Amazon, but genuine copies of the bestsellers, Gorilla's Guide to the Baofeng Radio, as well as Gorilla Dispatch Volumes 1 and 2. We're going to be having a lot more equipment. That is right, equipment that is coming inbound very, very soon. The range cards will be back in stock, possibly today. Possibly today, tomorrow for sure. Those sold out so fast. I the, the first batch of them sold out so fast. I wasn't even anticipating it. But hey, that, that's the way that it happened. Next batch is coming in now. Don't miss that opportunity because it's about a two-week turnaround to get them back in stock once those are in stock. But combo gear, we've got radios that are coming. We've got support equipment that's coming. Um, and a whole lot more that I can't necessarily talk about yet. But it's a big time. It is a big time brushbeater.store. So I certainly appreciate the support that everybody has out there. Support your listenership, your following, uh, you know, AmericanPartisan.org, which is growing by leaps and bounds in, in daily views. Folks, thank you so much. God bless. I'll talk to you again very, very soon. Zen C Scout out.